We'll be reading in the book of Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Kor's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh, harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen let's scan our eyes back to the verses 20 through 23 let's read those again together but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy 
with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Father, would you give us grace to understand this passage this morning? Help us to have a mind to pray it this month for each other. And help us to close out our year dedicated to prayer well, as Jude so thoughtfully encourages us toward prayer here. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, I'd like to tell you about my grandma. My grandma Baker, my grandma on my dad's side, she was a very um, determined lady. Uh, She was a single lady. She lived in downtown Kansas City all by herself for years and years. She worked at a place called Townley's Hardware. And my grandma, my grandma Baker, was maybe the single most generous person I've ever known. Grandma would take the entire year, children, and buy Christmas presents for us throughout the whole year. And she would stack them up in the corner of her house and she would cover them with blankets. She wouldn't spend any money on wrapping paper because she wanted to spend money on the gifts. And so she would wrap all the presents in newspaper. And we had a little tradition in our family. She would come over every year on Christmas Eve. And my little grandma, my, my, my grandma who, who was m- maybe four feet, ten inches tall, very short lady, would come up the steps with way too many presents uh, gathered about her, and she would have left more in the car, and my parents would always say the same, Mom, you shouldn't have done that. And she would put the presents under the tree, and she would watch us. Now, children, are you guys allowed to shake your presents? Are you allowed to pick them up and shake them? How many of you didn't know you could shake them? Okay, well, talk to your mom and dad first before you do that. But I would take, pick up the presents, of course, and I would shake them and listen inside, and I would hold them up. And my grandma would always say the same thing. It was always the same joke. She would always say, now, Gregory, don't get your hopes up. Nothing but rocks in there. Now, children, how many of you really thought there was nothing but rocks in there? How many of you would have gone, oh, sigh, why did you wrap rocks, Grandma? Anybody? Now, you would know she was joking, right? Because she brought those presents for you to unwrap. She wants you to wait, right? She wants you to wait till tomorrow. But once tomorrow comes, well, then they're yours. The waiting is meant to be a blessing. It's meant to show you her love, not diminish her love. Now, for us adults in here, Jude is going to be teaching us about an idea of waiting. Waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting for the salvation that's to be ours. Waiting for the the Lord Jesus Christ to show up both now and at the end of the ages when he'll gather his own to himself. And just as your children are sure that they're going to get to open those presents, but they have to wait to get it, so we should be sure that Jesus is coming again. So we should be sure of the mercy of Jesus. It's just a matter of waiting to the exact right time to make it 
obvious. Now, when my grandma put those Christmas presents under the tree, whose were they? Whose were they? Was she going to take them back out to her car? They were mine. When your parents put Christmas presents under the tree, children, for you, it's yours. But you have to wait to see what's inside. And Jesus is telling us right here that he wants us to wait expectantly, eagerly, knowing that we've got gifts. They're ours. And we wait with hope until he unveils them. And Jude is going to help us to uh, pray, to wait, and to encourage and build one another up as we eagerly wait the mercy and the hope and the gifts that Jesus has for us. Before we dive into the text this morning, let's just remind ourselves what we're doing. We have dedicated 2023 to prayer. You have prayer partners. And furthermore, on Mondays, we want you praying certain Bible prayers for the church. Now, maybe all year long you've been super faithful and praying on Mondays for our church people. Maybe you would say, I always leave church the first Sunday of the month thinking, man, I need to remember to pray on Monday, but then it always just kind of slips my mind and I forget to pray on Mondays this particular prayer. My friends, you've got one month left. Better late than never. Let's do that this month, and this is our prayer for the month that we really need to be praying for each other. So this is our prayer for the month, Jude 1, or just Jude, because there's only one chapter. So Jude 20 through 25. Let's get a little background on Jude, who's writing this book. Jude was, it says in the very first verse, the brother of James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude is not an apostle. But he's known uh, as a popular preacher. He's an evangelist. In fact, church history tells us that he was an itinerant evangelist. He traveled around the Roman world preaching the gospel. Now, he says here that he's the brother of James. And that's a very humble way of introducing himself, for Jude was also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jude grew up with Jesus. And Jude was one of the brothers who wouldn't believe Jesus even into his adult years. And Jude was a person who, though growing up in the presence of perfection and rejecting it, later came to faith in Christ and now describes himself not as a brother of Jesus, but as a servant. Now, he was a half-brother of Jesus. And Jesus calls all who believe in him brother. But Jude wants us to think of him as a servant, a person who wants to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with his entire life. And Jude is writing, according to verse 1, to all Christians everywhere. It says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So, he's writing to you. He's writing to me. If you have asked Jesus to save you from your sins, Jude, through the preservation of the Holy Spirit, has words for you. The brother, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ wants to talk to you about how to serve Jesus. And so he's got some words for you in this passage. Going back to verse 3, Jude is telling these people, he's telling us that he wanted to talk about something else. 
He wanted to talk about the common encouragement of our, about the encouragement of our common salvation. He was eager to think about the glories of salvation in Christ Jesus and what Christ has for us and all these other things. However, there was a need of the moment. Something had come up. False teachers had come into the church. There were people who were pretending to be religious but were using their religion for the fulfillment of their lusts. This is something that is common throughout all of the ages in the church. You can tell false teachers most commonly because of their lust for the flesh, their lust for the eyes, and their pride of life. They want to be rich. They want to have women. And they want to be somebody. And Jude says, those very people have crept into the church. And Jude is going to pull no punches in describing how destructive an influence they are in the local church. And he's warning God's people forevermore to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints that it's a problem when false teachers creep in. And it's not the job primarily of the clergy to root out false teaching. It's the problem of everybody. The local church is the first line of defense. The people are the first line of defense so that they're not financing the salaries of pastors who are uttering false teaching. And Jude is encouraging people not to give any ground, not to give anything to these false teachers. If I could describe it this way, Jude, if Jude lived in our present culture, I think he would have been tagged as a really good football coach. He's the kind of guy that is passionately loyal and loving and tender-hearted to his players. When he see his, sees his players laying it all out on the line, a football coach will routinely, you know, this big guy, he's got leather lungs, he's 6'4", huge frame. Those type of men will routinely break down and cry when they see the effort of a boy on their team. Yet... When a player on the other team does something wrong, when a player on the other team does something dirty, when a coach on the other team has a sideways word for his team, that coach responds like an angry lion. You do not see tenderness. You do not see kindness. You see a rush of judgment to protect his guys and protect his team tender-hearted, loving, compassionate to his guys, and no mercy for those guys. That's Jude. And so from verses 4 through 19, he has some words to say about the other guys. But then he turns his attention to our team, to his team. So let's go to verses 20 through 25, and I just want you to see the words. We're going to give you an outline in a second, but I want you to see the words. What does he say, verse 20? Beloved, mercy, life, mercy, save, mercy. Then he says, now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, and he goes in the end, be glory and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. He flips a switch and becomes the most tender-hearted, 
merciful-sounding man when he's talking about people that love his Savior, that love his King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jude is turning his attention now to his people, to our people, to us. And he doesn't have harsh words of condemnation for us. He's so tender-hearted and merciful. And it's to this tender-hearted mercy I want to turn our attention now. Jude, in verses 20 through 25, has an outline for us. He wants us to avoid the errors that he's described in 4 through 19, but now he's going to tell us how to do that. How are we to earnestly contend for the faith? How are we to keep ourselves in the love of God? How are we to encourage one another? And he's going to tell us, and this outline breaks up into two. First, he's going to encourage those inside the church. And he's going to tell us to keep ourselves in the love of God to build, by building, by praying, and by waiting. And then he's going to encourage us as we relate to people outside the church. There are people outside the church who doubt, people outside the church who are slipping away, and people outside the church who have almost totally slipped into error. And he's going to tell us what our heart should be toward them. So, two points. How do we care for each other? And then second, how do we care for those outside? That's what he's going to tell us to do. And that's what we should be praying this month. So first point, encouragement for those inside the church. Look at your translations right here. Verse 20, but you, beloved, and you're going to hear a bunch of verbs Four of them, as a matter of fact, sort of stacked up. Building yourselves up in, the, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have building, praying, keep, and waiting. Okay? Building, praying, keep, waiting. And maybe you can use, your, uh, use a little uh, word thing like that as you pray that this month. Building, waiting, building, praying, keep, waiting. Okay? There is, however, one central verb among those four and it's the verb keep it's the command keep yourselves in the love of god and these other ones describe how we're supposed to do that okay keep yourselves in the love of god that's the command that is the command that we christians are to be having toward each other that we christians are to be thinking about as we relate to each other keep yourselves in the love of god well what does that mean what does it mean to you look across the aisle to somebody and say, how would I keep that person in the love of God? How would I keep myself in the love of God? How would that person keep me in the love of God? Well, first we need to define the word keep. Keep has a lot of different senses. We understand this. Let's take the word key, for example. Did you know a key can mean like a little metal thing to let you in a building? A key can mean the central idea, like the key to your understanding, the, the linchpin. A key in some cultures is for the thing that turns on your spigot. Okay? They call that the key. Turn the key, and the water will flow. It has a lot of different senses. And this word keep also has a lot of different senses, a lot of different meanings. But most Prominently, it means this. It means to guard 
or preserve something that's set aside for special use. Back in September, my children gave me a giant bag of red vine licorice. And I decided, since I'd had cake and other things like that on my birthday, and I, maybe my wife made cinnamon rolls or something, there was something else. We, I, I decided that I didn't want to crack open that bag that day. That I would wait until the perfect moment to open that bag of red vines. The bag got kind of shoved into the back corner of the pantry. And on Friday night, the University of Washington was playing the University of Oregon in a championship game. And I wanted to watch that. And I thought, that's going to be a good game. And I announced to my family, I am now going to eat my birthday red vine candy. And my children went, you've been saving that candy since September? I said, well, this wasn't the right time. <laughs> it wasn't the right moment. I didn't. But Friday night, I cracked open the bag, and, you know, everybody, they fill that stuff with so many preservatives. I think I could have waited a decade, and it would have tasted the exact same. They were delicious. I kept them. I preserved them. When the kids would look at them, I would say, don't even think about it. That's my birthday candy. And it's being reserved, preserved, for the right time. That's the idea. We are to guard one another. We're to preserve one another. We're to hold each other in regard as being set aside for some special use. We want them to be effective in that use. And we don't want anything spoiling them that would prevent them from being able to minister the way God wants them to minister. So how is it that we can guard and preserve people in the love of God? In the love of God. What does that mean? Is this my love for God, or is it God's love for me? So what I want you to do is look across the aisle and pick somebody and think. Go ahead, you can look. You look across. It's not awkward. Look across, find somebody, and get a name on it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Betty. Okay, Betty. Okay. How, how is Greg Baker supposed to keep, preserve, and guard Betty and the love of God? Am I supposed to guard her in God's love for her? Or am I supposed to help her and preserve her in her love for God? Well, good question. What would it mean if it were God's love? The love that God has for her? Well, God is the very essence of love. Uh, God indwells us in love by his spirit. And when God sets his love on us, it's an inseparable love. God says that no, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor powers will ever separate you from the love of God. And God says that his perpetual reminder that Jesus Christ died for you when you're a sinner is a constant demonstration of that love. And so, if I want Betty to be kept 
and reserved for special use in the Lord. It's my job to remind her of the inseparable love that God has for her when he claimed her and indwelled her. And it's my job to remind her that God is love. And whatever difficulty she might be having is in no way a punishment, but a motivation of God's great desire to love her and use her. And that she has the Holy Spirit of love residing in her heart. And even if she makes a mistake, to encourage her that it was a mistake out of great motivations because it was the Spirit who was motivating her. That's my job toward Betty, to keep her in God's love for her. I think it's both. I think I also need to encourage Betty and Betty's love for God. Well, what would that look like? Our love for God is a reciprocated love. It's a reciprocated affection. What does it mean to have a reciprocated love? Imagine, think back to the first date, the second date you had with your spouse. And they asked you on a date, you asked them on a date, whatever the occasion was. And you had a good time and you thought, man, I I really, I really like that person. And then you show that somehow. But most importantly, that person shows you that they have feelings for you and your heart melts. I can't believe that person would feel that way toward me. That's the idea of reciprocated love. We love God because he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That amazement that God would so love us prompts us to holy living. We show our love for God by keeping his commands and we show our love for God by loving God's people. We say, the same blood that bought me bought them. And so... I'm going to pour out my affection on them as one of God's chosen people, seeing as how God has already given me so much more in Christ Jesus. So, let's pack all that back together. We've, we've, we had this thing in front of us, keep one another in the love of God, and we sort of broke it into its parts. Now let's put it back together. Get in mind the person you looked across at. It is your job as a part of Fellowship Bible Church to help preserve them in all of the ways that God has loved them by reminding them of all the ways that God has loved them. And to encourage them in their love of the brethren. And to encourage them in their following of God. And to encourage them in their... um, seeking of God's will for their lives such that they can be kept for special use by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, this cannot be a passive thing. And this is not the job of the clergy exclusively. 
we have to get past the it slipped my mind phase. We have to get past forgetting these things as soon as we leave the parking lot. We live very disconnected lives by comparison to the people in this time. The, the, the houses that they lived in were separated by very small amounts. They didn't have the ability to preserve food, so they were always out at the stores buying their food daily, interacting, rubbing shoulders. They didn't have 401ks and 403bs. When they fell into need, they relied on people in the community to bail them out. Because we have these conveniences and this space that separates us, we have to be aware of that and be hypercognizant of breaking down that space and breaking down those excuses and pouring into each other the keeping of one another in the love of God. And forgive me if this sounds too harsh, but God does not accept the excuse, I forgot about it. It's your job to remind yourself of it. You have iPhones that do little alarms. I know you do. You have post-it notes. We have to get past this forgetful Christianity and put wheels in it and get dead serious about keeping each other in the love of God. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Judah's going to help us with three, with three participles, three ing words. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, number one, by building. We have the gospel as our foundation, and now we're constructing the walls of our house or temple, and we encourage each other in this objective faith, once for all delivered to the saints. He says right here, look at verse 20. But beloved, but you beloved, building yourselves up in the holy faith. This word building is a, it's, it's a construction term. It's absolutely a construction term. We get the word domicile from it. And this is the, the idea of um, framing. Okay? The foundation's already been laid. Now it's a matter of building up the walls for either a house or for a temple. And what Jude is telling us is everybody in your fellowship already has this foundation, which is the faith. It's this objective thing, the cardinal doctrines of Christianity. And not just bare doctrine, but the implications of that, the joy that we experience, the, the, the struggles that we have, the everything that goes along with that doctrine, God is encouraging us to help one another build a structure, build ourselves up in that faith. And that is how we keep one another in the love of God. We encourage each other. We build one another up in the most holy faith. The second thing we do is we pray for each other. He says, praying. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Praying. Yes, we have an obligation of the person you looked across the aisle at to 
encourage them, to build them up in the faith, to have a word for the Lord from them, to give them a call and tell them, I want to encourage you with a verse or with a thought. But you also have an obligation, if you're going to keep them in the love of God, to be praying for them. And I want you to notice that this is a plural for praying. The implication being all of us praying together. There's a, a private entirety, in other words, when we dismiss today, we should send out an army of private prayers. But there's a corporate element of it too. We should be gathering together for prayer so that we can be keeping each other in the love of God and building each other up in the holy faith. And then, number three, by waiting. And this is that special word we used before, this expectant waiting of an assured outcome. Like telling kids they need to wait to open their Christmas presents, and we're to be awaiting something in particular. We're to be awaiting the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, mercy is a special word. It's a special word used in the New Testament. When we think of mercy, we, we think of getting, not receiving something that we deserve by way of a punishment. Like let's say, for example, one of my children struck another child in the head with a brick. Please don't do that. Okay, but it happened. And it was on purpose. And what one of my children would deserve for that would be a big punishment, Right? And if I said, I'm not going to punish you today, that would be mercy. Withholding something from them that they deserve. But that's not the Bible definition for mercy. That's not the Bible definition for mercy. Jesus gives us a really great story about what the Bible definition of mercy looks like. There was a man who was traveling and he got jumped by thieves. They beat him up. They left him for dead. And he was found there wallowing in the ditch. Two religious leaders passed on either side and didn't do a thing for him. But a Samaritan came along and had mercy on him. What was the mercy? Did he get down on a knee and say, friend, you're going to recover from this? Keep your chin up and move on? No. He picked the man up and put the man on his mule. He dressed the man's wounds. He sent the man to a hotel of sorts and gave the innkeeper extra money to nurse this man back to health. Now let me ask you a question. Did he know anything about that man? Could that man have been dying in the ditch because he deserved it? Could he have gotten caught up in a bad deal gone wrong? Could he have been a criminal and his buddies turned on him, his fellow criminals turned on him and left him for dead? Well, sure. It doesn't matter doesn't matter. Here is a person who bears the image of God, who is hurting, 
and this act of compassion upon this, the, the Samaritan feels this compassion, this mercy welling up inside of him, and he goes to great personal expense to heal that man. And that's the word, that's the mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ that we're to be earnestly waiting for. Now, sometimes I think we can limit that to the moment that Christ returns and draws us back to himself, and I certainly think that's in view here. But I think there's something more day-to-day involved in that. So, for example, in the Psalter, we encounter these writers who are deep in depression. They're under such great sorrow and heaviness. And the writer counsels them, say to your soul, the Lord will come. This, the, the day will dawn. You will get past this. Things will get better. And that is the mercy of Christ. You're going through a trial and we encourage one another. The mercy of Christ will show up. It is yours. It is coming. This trial is temporary. What can I do to help you? How can I be an instrument of mercy in the hands of our Lord Jesus to help you through this difficult time? That's what Jude is advocating. So let's review before we move on very quickly. Let's review. We are to be praying this month that our church would be a place where we keep each other in the love of God. That Fellowship Bible Church, we're to pray that Fellowship Bible Church would be a place that keeps one another in God's love for us and our love for God. And our church accomplishes that by building each other up, by praying for each other individually and corporately, and by encouraging people to wait for the mercy of Christ, and by being an instrument of the mercy of Christ. This compassion and action for all of our people. We need to be praying that for one another. And we need to be doing that for one another. And this, this is what Jude is instructing us to do. This is what we're going to be praying for, for ourselves. Now there is another point. This is our second point. We'll go through this very quickly. There is encouragement for those outside the church. And Jude puts these people into three categories. We'll just click through the categories very quickly. There's those who doubt. There's those who are unsaved. And then there's those who are very far gone. In other words, Jude said there's a bunch of people that are sort of dating the church. They're they're coming up to the message of Christ, but they're having doubts and they're not sure what they're going to do. Have mercy on those people. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what their background is. They're, answer their questions. Work with them. Be patient with them. And try to satisfy their doubts so that they'll come fully into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are others, he says, who are going astray. They're in the fire. They are under the condemnation of God. Jesus said that he who has the Son... He who, does not has the, he who doesn't have the Son does not have life, and the wrath of God remains on him. And that is, unfortunately, the vast majority of the people around us. They're decent enough people, but they're sinners, and they'll be held without excuse 
And Jude is saying when it comes to them, aggressively go to them to try to snatch them out of the fire. Encourage them to come into the body of Christ so that they can avoid the wrath that God has abiding on them. And so here we're told to posture ourselves toward them like like throwing out life vessels to people drowning in the sea. Snatch them out. Seize them out. It's a violent word. Snatch, seize. Be aggressive in going to get them. And then there's a third category of people. And Jude says you have to exercise great care with these people. These are folks whose sin goes before them. They are not decent enough people. They do awful, terrible things. And they like it. That's who they are. And Jude says, what I want you to do is be merciful to them. Their sin is going to have grave consequences for their lives. And when that happens, show mercy. Be compassionate. Don't withhold your mercy simply because they deserved it. He says, but when it comes to these people, be careful so that you don't join them in their sin. You don't have to join them in their sin to draw them out. You can show mercy to them. You can help them. But, but I want you to, to even hate the garment that has been soiled by sin. There's a fine line between, and you've heard it said, loving the sinner and hating the sin. There is a fine line, and that is essentially what Jude is saying. Have compassion, but don't join. (laughs) And Jude says this is to be our posture toward people, to these three categories of people. To doubters, we rush toward and show them as much mercy as possible, trying to draw them into ourselves, those who are sort of investigating the idea of the church. There are unsaved people, and we get aggressive with them, and we snatch them out of the fire. And then there are people who are very proud in their sin and very arrogant in what they do. And for those people, we show them all the same kindness. We show them all the same love and compassion. But we have to keep careful watch on ourselves lest we get tangled up in the same sins that are affecting them. Okay? So, let's draw three prayer conclusions and then we'll be done. Number one, let us pray collectively. (laughs) This is a command for all of us. And as I said before, maybe we've been super faithful about it every one of these months. Maybe we haven't been. The writer of Hebrews tells us to forget the things that are in the past, reach ahead toward the prize of Christ Jesus, the the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget. Forget the failure. Tell the Lord, hey, I should have been praying. I I didn't, but I'm going to do it this month. Let's pray collectively. If you have a prayer partner, double down on getting to know them and be praying for them. And let us be praying collectively these verses that we would be a church that keeps one another in the love of God by building one another up, by praying for each other, and by encouraging each other to wait on the mercy of Christ or even being an instrument of that mercy. Number two. Let us pray with great interpersonal awareness. 
let us pray with great interpersonal, interpersonal awareness. Get to know our people. Don't be afraid to ask them if they've got pain points in their life right now. Don't be afraid to ask if there's a need that isn't widely known. Is there anything I can be praying for you about? Are you having any struggles? Anything I can do? Follow up on that. Follow up on that. Have you ever had a Christian do that for you? They've, they've asked you, how can I be praying for you? And you tell them you're honest with them. And what do you know, a week later, you get a phone call or a text. Hey, haven't forgotten about you. How's that thing coming along? Isn't that encouraging when that happens? Because you realize it wasn't just a one-off thing. They actually have been taking you before the Lord. Let us have this interpersonal awareness. Be praying for each other that way. And then last, let us pray evangelistically. With special emphasis on our personal role in the salvation of others. We've got a Christmas Eve ser service coming up. It's on the evening of Christmas Eve. <laughs> December 24th, it's a Sunday. We're going to give the gospel. People love coming to that service. If you've got an unsaved friend or family member that you want to have come under the preaching of the gospel, invite them to it. Invite them to it. And if you're, if you're intimidated at that prospect, ask for prayer, for courage and boldness. But you are the person. God has given you that job. And so be praying for courage. Be praying for boldness. Ask others to be praying for you. Let us pray evangelistically. Okay? So this month, we will be praying we would be, that building ourselves up in our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit that we would keep ourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That we would have mercy on those who doubt that we would save others by snatching them out of the fire and that we would show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen.